Wolfwatch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, the Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to be discussing the third in a series of four Beef Watch webinars that were held in the month of January focused on calving and calving management. Today's topic is from the January 19th Beef Watch webinar series titled Calving 101. To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by the presenter, Dr. Becky Funk, who's a veterinarian at the Great Plains Veterinary Education Center. Thanks for joining me today, Dr. Funk. Thanks for having me, Aaron. I'm glad to be here. Dr. Funk, it's going to be a little bit hard today to really help people visualize many of the great illustrations that you had in your presentation, but let's talk through some of the things that people need to think about as they're assisting the beef cow at calving. What are some of the tools they need to have in place, some of the resources there? And then we'll have a conversation as well around when you see that something doesn't look quite right with that calving presentation, what are some steps we need to think about in terms of correcting that and maybe following up with some help? Sure. So as far as preparation leading up to calving, I always encourage guys to, to have a look at their facility, make sure, um, make sure everything's in good repair, make sure there isn't anything that, you know, that maybe happened last year that you were going to get around to as far as repairs or maintenance and just haven't um, that way when we do hit a point where we need to use that facility um, we know it's in good working order that we're not you know stuck out there in the middle of the night during an emergency and trying to make those things work so that's the first step the other thing i like to have guys do is make sure um, you know Dr. Mead went over some calving box preparation in her webinar and so um, like she had mentioned, we want to make sure um, that we have those things that we need, um, OB lube, our chains, that they're, um, you know, pull them out, make sure they're clean, that they didn't get just thrown in the box last year and forgotten about, um, and then go through your drug cabinet, make sure expiration dates are good, that, um, that you have what you need, that you're stocked, um, have a conversation with your vet if you're, if you're not, or if you have some expiration dates that are passed that we need to replace some of those items. So all of those things leading up to calving are good things to do. As we think about the stages of calving and we think about what's taking place for that cow, walk through with us what's occurring for her physiologically and what are some signals for us that we may need to think about looking towards intervening if things aren't progressing as they should be? Yeah, so we generally think about three different stages of the calving process. Uh, stage one is that that process leading up to uh, active labor. So we're looking at that cow that is maybe wandering away from the herd or looking for that isolated spot. We'll see things like tail posture. She'll carry that tail high or she'll be do some switching or some ringing of that tail. Um, she may just kind of be generally uncomfortable uh, and, and just looking for that, that spot before she goes into active labor. So this stage is really variable. It can be, you know, you may not even notice those older experienced cows may just wander off and, and lay down and calve, whereas like a heifer or an inexperienced cow um, may spend, you know, several hours just kind of roaming around trying to get prepared for that calving process. Stage two is what we consider active labor. So that's where we're going to see the start of those fetal membranes or that water bag come out. Um, we want to start to see active contractions. So she's going to lay down and push. We're going to try and deliver that calf. 
And we want to see good progress through this phase. Um, heifers take longer, so heifers may take up to a couple hours to actually deliver a calf. Um, again, those experienced cows, it may be a matter of 15-20 minutes, uh, depending on, on the individual. So the biggest thing is, like I said, forward progress at all times during this phase. And what I mean by that is so from the time you see those fetal membranes, you want to see within the next 20 minutes to a half an hour, we want to start to see some toes. And once we see toes, when we check her again in 20 minutes to a half an hour, um, we should see feet and a nose. And then we should, once we see that head and those shoulders deliver, things should go pretty rapidly and she should deliver that calf fully, get up and start working on that calf. That calf should start making um, some progress towards getting up and around and having that first meal. So that's stage two. Stage three is cleaning of that cow. So all that placenta will be delivered and that's kind of the accumulation of the calving process. So uh, generally it takes just a couple hours or even less to deliver that placenta. If we see it retained uh, longer than 24 hours, we consider that a retained placenta. The big change that has happened over the last several years in this phase is it used to be if we have a retained placenta, we go in and we, you know, we clean that cow manually. We go in and remove that placenta. We now know that that can do a lot of damage to that lining of the uterus and can even at times, if it's extreme, jeopardize future pregnancies in that cow. So we really don't do that at this point. If we have a retained placenta, we're just going to monitor that cow, make sure she's systemically feeling good, that she doesn't need intervention with antibiotics. Um, and let that cow do her thing and, and break down that placenta on her own and, and shed it over time. Let's talk a little more about stage two of the calving process. When do we need to think about making a step in and examining that cow or intervening if we're noticing things aren't progressing as they should be? Yeah, so that goes back to that progress um, you know, we're, if we're checking that cow in active labor every half hour or 20 minutes, depending on whether it's a heifer or a cow um, and how comfortable we are with her, we want to see that progress. So, and obviously if the right parts don't show up, that's, that's a, an immediate indicator to intervene. So if we check her and we've got one foot, but not two, um, we're going to be getting her up and making sure we know where that second foot is. You know, if we get to see if we got feet out and we can see that we're out past the fetlocks and we haven't seen a nose, then we're probably going to do a check and make sure that that head is where it needs to be. If we see a tail, that's an instant indicator that we need to check. His reach is going to need to be corrected. The other thing we really watch for is if we have those cows that are in that first stage of labor and never progress into that second stage, or maybe they only progress to fetal membranes and we don't see any any evidence that a calf is starting to appear. That's a good indicator that we need to run her in and get her checked and see, see what we've got going on. At least know that everything's doing what it's supposed to be sooner rather than later. In your presentation, you have some really nice illustrations, which we're not going to be able to picture here on the podcast of, of different mal presentations that will often be part of this process where the cow's not progressing as she should be. Walk us through some of those different things that uh, you may incur if you see a cow that's not making progress and kind of give us a general overview of thinking about how to assess those. Yeah, so a lot of it goes back to what you are personally comfortable correcting. I have clients that run the whole gamut from um, being able to really correct some very extreme malpresentations to those clients who just aren't comfortable even with some pretty mild presentations. So 
that's a good conversation to have with your vet that knows you and kind of knows your skill set to to decide what your comfort level and what your skill set is as far as getting those corrected. Because uh, ultimately the goal is, is, you know, a healthy cow, healthy calf, and a cow that is healthy enough to go on and rebreed that year, right? So we want to make sure we intervene at a time when we can achieve that goal is, is best case scenario. But get in, and a lot of it has to do with, like I said, what parts are presented and what parts are not. So um, we may have something very simple like a leg back uh, or an elbow lock. Those are kind of the two that I use as, as examples of fairly mild mouth presentations. Um, that elbow lock is just where those feet uh, aren't progressing out and the head is essentially catching up with them, right? So we've got those elbows tucked back under the shoulders um, and that's not going to allow that calf to proceed through the pelvic canal. So that's a fairly easy malpresentation. We can put our chains on and we want to make sure we put them on correctly with, um, you know, the, the loop above the fetlock and that half hitch below the fetlock. We don't want to do any damage to those limbs. And then we can advance, if we've got an elbow lock, we can advance one leg at a time and just kind of um, back and forth walk that calf out a lot of times. If we've got a leg back, obviously we need to find it. Um, the key to correcting legs back or anything where we're trying to bring feet up into the pelvic canal is we want to make sure we have our hand around that foot. Those feet can do a lot of damage, even perforate or, or put a hole in that uterus if we're not protecting that uterine wall while we're correcting those. So those are some milder um, presentations that a lot of people are comfortable correcting. If you get into some more extreme presentations, then you're doing things like bringing, um, bringing both feet up in a breech presentation or trying to roll a calf that's, that's presented crosswise. A lot of it's just patience and kind of working with that cow as she's presenting that calf to you as she's pushing, working between contractions to try and, and fix those presentations rather than working against her. Well, Dr. Funk, you talked about in the seminar some different presentations that can be corrected. You also talked about earlier in our conversation just the importance of having a conversation with your veterinarian and knowing when you've reached a place where you need to get some other help. Walk through with us, what's a time frame as you think about examining and correcting something where you say, you know what, this is a point where I need to bring in someone else who can help me deal with this. Yeah, so a good kind of my rule of thumb in my mind when I'm working on one of these is if I don't feel like I can get that presentation corrected and delivered in about 20 minutes. That's a good rule of thumb to say, if that's the case then for the, the health of that cow and for the safety of that calf, we need to start thinking about some other options, whether that be C-section, whether it be having somebody that's a little more experienced at correcting those presentations, um, or even somebody that has some different tools. You know, I have some different tools that I work with to correct some of those malpresentations like head snares and, um, you know, I'll, I'll use those chains in different ways to correct those that some people aren't comfortable with. So, so yeah, that 20, kind of that 20 minute rule of thumb is a good thing to have in the back of your mind that if you're, if you're not making progress at getting that corrected and delivered in that time frame, it's probably time to start thinking about looking at some other options. As you think about helping that cow, assisting her, Obviously, the facilities you have and what's available to you is going to impact your availability or your ability to do this. But as you're assisting that cow, let's say you get the presentation, everything's right. Do you like to have that cow standing up? Would you like to have her laying down? 
How do you approach that kind of scenario? You're absolutely right in that a lot of times I'm very limited by what facilities I'm working in. For the kind of the natural process of how that is designed, um, the ideal way to deliver a calf is with that cow laying down. So if I'm in a facility where that can be safely done, um, meaning that we're not going to have that cow um, laying with her feet against a wall or, or stuck somewhere or, you know, if that head catch allows her to lay down, I'm going to let her lay down and try and deliver the calf that way. And one of the key things with that is the fact that um, we talked about hip locks a little bit in the seminar and how to try and avoid those. And there's, there's, a, there's a postural mechanism by which as that calf is delivered, um, those hips are gonna shift to come through the pelvis in the most efficient way possible for that cow and that calf. And so if she's laying down, that mechanism takes place much more smoothly than when she's standing up. Um, but that's not to say that if we're, if we're limited by facilities, um, you know, or even the temperament of that cow, right? If we have a cow that's a little bit more nervous or wild or is harder to control, um, for the safety of everybody, we might leave her standing up. Let's talk a little bit about managing uh, drugs around that cow in terms of at the time of calving. When's an appropriate time to use something like oxytocin? Uh, when we might do something to mitigate some pain if we have had a difficult delivery and we're concerned about trying to uh, mitigate some pain for both the cow and the calf. Sure. So starting with oxytocin, um, that's one that most guys are familiar with. It's um, something a lot of them will have in their calving box to use. It, it is an analog of, an, of the normal hormone oxytocin, right? So that hormone that causes um, uterine contractions, among other things, and the thing you want to keep in mind with oxytocin is there's already a huge amount of oxytocin in that cow and working on that uterus. If she's having good, strong contractions and actively working on that calf, I, will, I won't reach for oxytocin in that situation. She's already got more than enough going on. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is, is that if we have a physical barrier to calving, so say we have a cervix that's not dilated, um, or something like a uterine torsion where we have, you know, that uterus is flipped over and that physical outlet for that calf is not open anymore. Um, we do not want to use oxytocin in that situation. Uh, it can actually cause rupture of the uterus when we, when we stimulate really extreme uterine contractions, basically against a closed door. So, so those are some things to keep in mind. Uh, I have a lot of folks that will use that, uh, will use oxytocin as a follow-up to calving, um, to try and make sure that placenta is delivered and that that uterus shrinks down like it's supposed to um, and try and make sure we don't have any bleeding issues. So we can use it in that situation. It's really common in a calving where the cow seems to be in good shape. You know, we've, we've checked her and we know there's not another calf in there that placenta is coming out like we expected to, to, it to do. I honestly won't use oxytocin a lot of times at all. So something to keep in mind, it's good to have, it's a tool we can use, um, but definitely use it with some caution in different situations. Uh, the other thing you mentioned was pain mitigation, and that's something that's becoming more and more common. Uh, I will honestly consider any cow that we have to catch in assisted delivery to be a candidate for some, for some pain management post-calving. And the other thing that we need to keep in mind that I think a lot of people forget about is if that calf has had a difficult delivery or has had um, a prolonged delivery, 
that's a good candidate for some pain mitigation as well. We know those little guys that, you know, maybe we, we've had a prolonged delivery in a heifer, so that tongue's a little bit swollen or that muzzle's a little bit swollen, um, or even they're just a little bit stressed. We know they, they have a less likelihood that they're going to get up and get claustrum like they should. So a little bit of pain management in those, I feel like it's personal bias, but feel like goes a long way. Um, try and get them feeling a little better, get them to nurse a little more aggressively and just kind of help them out on their start. We've talked before about the importance of getting colostrum into that newborn calf. Just touch briefly on how you handle that when you assist a cow at calving. Yeah, so I, again, it's personal bias, but I, my personal bias is that if we went to the work of needing to catch that cow, um, maybe assist in a delivery, you know, we've got her in the chute right here. That calf may be a little stressed. If we had a dystocia, we know that they're not like as likely to get up and nurse like we want them to in that golden hour, that first hour after birth. I'm going to go ahead and milk that cow out and see if we can get that calf to either nurse a bottle or to feed it. Um, it's just a little bit of insurance. We've put all that time and effort into getting that live calf on the ground. Um, let's make sure he gets off to a good start. One of the other things you showed some pictures of in the webinar and talked a little bit about is some prolapses. There's different types of prolapses, but help us understand a little bit about that, what's occurring there, and what do we need to do to try to address those when it does occur? Yeah, absolutely. The biggest thing I always try and get across is there, are, like we discussed in the webinar, there are some prolapses that are a, that are a call at two in the morning. We're not gonna let those go. We don't have the time to do that and come out with a successful outcome for that cow. Um, and then there are other prolapses that, that while they need to be addressed, they don't need to be addressed at two in the morning so much. So um, the, the three types of prolapses that, that we discussed are, are uterine prolapses, vaginal prolapses, and rectal prolapses. Vaginal and uterine prolapses are very common around calving. Vaginal prolapse is generally in a pre-calving cow. So you'll see that cow that as those muscles relax and as all that tone around her hips and her pelvic canal relax, we may see um, something really mild just to the, to the effect that, she, you know, you see her laying out um, in the stock field or in the, in the pasture and you may see just a little bit of a prolapse starting to occur. She stands up, it goes right back in. Um, if those get to a point where they're not going back in, they need to be addressed. Um, we usually put a stitch in them just to make sure we retain all that vaginal tissue. We don't want it to get frostbit or sunburn, depending on the time of year you're calving. Um, we don't want physical trauma to occur to that pretty delicate tissue. Uterine prolapses are a whole nother ball of wax. Uh, uterine prolapses happen uh, post-calving, obviously, because we have to have the calf out of the uterus in order for it to occur. And a lot of times it has a, has an underlying basis of something like uterine fatigue. So if, if it's a heifer that's been working on calving for, for way longer than she ought to, so she's just flat out tired and that uterus is tired and it lacks a lot of tone. Um, the other thing, um, positioning in the pasture. So if you've got hilly if you've got a hilly calving lot where they can get kind of in an awkward position with their back downhill, we can see some prolapse issues. And the other thing is a lot of times if we have a cow that's kind of on the verge of being hypocalcemic or milk fever post-calving, um, that lack of calcium can lead to lack of uterine tone and we'll see those prolapses. 
those are true emergencies. Um, and actually true emergencies to the extent of uh, if she is down reliably enough that we can actually work on her in the pasture, in the pen, we're going to do that. Um, if we can get her to a barn, we need to do it very calmly and quietly if we can. I know that's, that's not always a situation in some of the temperaments in these cows, but um, that gives her the best option for being able to replace and place that uterus and do it in a way that she's going to have a good outcome. Um, there are two, the reason uterine prolapses are very dangerous is because there are two very large vessels um, that run down kind of the sides of that uterus. And every time as she's walking into the barn, every time that uterus moves or bounces, um, it puts strain on those vessels. If they rupture those vessels, they can essentially bleed to death internally in a matter of minutes. Um, so those are true emergencies. Make sure you get a phone call made. Um, we need to get those replaced as soon as possible. Dr. Funk, anything else from the webinar series that you'd like to talk about or you think that producers should be aware of as we point towards wrapping this up? Um, I think be aware of your limitations. Have a conversation with your vet ahead of time. Have some plans in place for those emergencies. We know they're going to happen, fortunately. And, uh, you know, we're all in this together this time of year and try and get those calves on the ground safe and healthy. Thanks again for joining me today. Thanks, Aaron. It's been fun. Well, for more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I'd encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. Again, this is from the January 19th Calving Complications and When to Call the Vet webinar. And that recording can be found at the beef.unl.edu website.